For God so loved that he gave. He invested. God was looking to get something out of what he was going to give his son. It was an investment, if you will. We're going to talk about investments today, particularly investments of our heart. Investments above God and how God works in that investment. God is sifting the investments of our heart. The text that we're going to look at in Luke 14, 25 is a tough text. It's not an easy one. Um, I struggled with it. But this isn't the first time. There's lots of times where Jesus says something and it's not easy. Everybody agree? Okay. But I don't know about you and your journey, but in my journey, when I struggled with God and I struggled with what he said, I always came blessed. I always ended up, I might not have come through unscathed, but I came through blessed. I look at this text and I ask some questions. Let's look at Luke 14, 25 through 32. If you don't have your Bible, it's right there. <laughs> Luke 14, 25. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him. Saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sits out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. I look at this text and what Jesus is saying, and I struggle with it. I ask, what is he doing? What is he saying? God, what are you doing? In this text, this is the one who talks so much about love. And here he says about something about hate. There's many types of love. In the, uh, and there are about five different Greek words for love. And... Depending on what you're loving, it depends on what the love is, what type of love there is. It's the same with hate. There's many different types of hate. 
I hate Brazil nuts. I hate taxes. But the thing that he is talking about here is, is not bitterness. It's not animosity. It's not rage. It's not racism. It's not disdain. It's not contempt. It's hate by comparison. Our love for him has got to be so vastly larger than our love for our families and our own lives, but it's like hate. Then I notice something that's, this isn't an unfamiliar thing, these things about Jesus, what he's saying here. We're going to look at a few scriptures this morning to see what Jesus is doing here and he's done in other places. And that as we see Jesus, we see the Father. And that what God, Jesus did, God does too. And He's doing in our lives today. What He's doing is working on our hearts. He's working on His investment. John, John 6, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. Um, in John 6... It's another occasion where he says something very similar. And he turns people off. It's called the Sermon on the Bread of Life. And if you recall, the, um, he, he uh, is going around preaching and teaching and doing miracles, signs, and wonders con- to confirm who he is. And uh, lots of people begin to follow him. And they bring their sick and their lame and their crippled and those that are demon-possessed. And they follow him. He goes out of the city and he stays far away from the city. And they end up being stranded in the middle of nowhere. I don't, I don't believe this is by accident. And you know the story of the feeding of the 5,000. They their resources were only five loaves and two fish. And he performs a miracle and provides for all of them and feeds them. Then he dismisses them and proceeds to move on. Well, they track him down. One of the things that they have in their agenda is a political agenda. See, it's not very fun living in Israel under Roman rule. It's not fun. And they had a political, Jews had a political agenda. They thought that the Messiah was a political Messiah. They thought the Messiah, the the one that was going to come from God to save them, was going to save them from their enemies, earthly enemies. When really, the Savior was come to save us from God, from His wrath. Well, they had this agenda, and it's it's really exciting that if you're thinking about a war, and you have... You've got your men who have swords and you're ready to fight. That it's very exciting to have somebody that can heal people. Okay? Um, So you don't need a mash unit. Okay? All you need is someone that can do these miracles and heal people. Okay? So this is exciting. And now, wow, he can populate food. Okay? So now 
we can not only bring the sick and the crippled to him, we can bring those that uh, you know, they're on shore leave or whatever, they, they can go back, they can eat with Jesus, and they go back and fight the Romans. There was this excitement, and they wanted, the text says, they wanted to make him king by force. That wasn't Jesus' agenda. And then he does something, that in the, in the, in the text we looked at just now, and, and in John 6, he does something, he sifts the crowd. He says something they don't like. He says, you came after me because of bread, earthly bread. The bread that I bring is my life. Are you going to eat my flesh and drink my blood? Or you have no part of me? And they're like, they freaked out. And he went from having a congregation of about 5,000 people or more down to maybe just 12. They didn't like that. He, what he was doing, by his words, he was sifting them. He was sifting their hearts by the things that he said. says that upon him many of this his disciples went back and walked with him no more and Peter and Jesus said are you going to turn away too and Peter says to whom shall we go to whom else has the words of life and when you read your Bible or when you hear a sermon or when you go to a Bible study or when you meditate on his word that's what he's doing still He's sifting your priorities. He's sifting your investments. He's sifting my investments when he says things that we do not necessarily like. For us to examine ourselves, God uses the word to help us sift the investments of our hearts. Can't read that. God uses his word to help us sift the investments of our heart. God also uses life events to help us sift or sort the investments of our hearts. And now he uses his word to help us with that. He uses life events. This is where it's probably tougher. One of the greatest stories well known is the story of Job. You can turn to Job if you want to. I am. Job um, Job had everything going for him. Job was an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. It says that he was blameless, verse 1 of Job. Verse 2 of Job says, seven, daughters, seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 a yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And then the story takes an interesting turn. It says that the devil, Satan, came, the accuser, came before God. And it says that you know, God says, where have you been? 
roaming to and fro the face of the earth. There's other passages that say that the devil, when he's roaming to and fro the face of the earth, he's seeking whom he may devour. Well, then God says this. Have you considered my servant Job? (laughs) Don't mention me. He's working on it. God was working on his investment, wasn't he? But there's no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered to God, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will curse you. To your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And then things went bad. Bad for Job. His donkeys were killed by the Sabaeans. The Chaldeans came in and took his camels. And a storm came and destroyed the house that all of his sons and daughters were in. And the house collapsed and killed them all. Job's investment, the investment of Job's life, the investment of Job's heart in his children, in his property, in his possessions was ruined. God allowed it. Because God was working on his investment. And this is what happened. (laughs) Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's easy to sing that song on Sunday morning. It's not easy to sing it when your investments crash. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Happy ending, huh? No. Again, there came another day. The accuser, devil comes to, to, in the presence of God. Where have you come from? When God asks a question, he's not looking for information. He knows where he's been. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about the earth and walking around on it, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. His description doesn't change. A blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity. You know what? The description does change a little bit, doesn't it? He still holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. Have report forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare 
his life. Wow. God's investment came through. And, but that wasn't it. He wanted more from Job. He wanted more of that investment. He wanted more of Job's heart. And Job kept right on going. He was left with three, ser- three servants and a not-so-great spouse. <laughs> All the rest of his servants died. His wife told him to curse God and die. That's not a sign of how things are going. I don't know what is. But Job stayed faithful to God. Um, I encourage you to read the book of Job. But if you read, he had three friends that came. We're not going to spend time on that. He had three friends that came, and they sat around. And for, from chapter 5 or so on through near the end of it, there's a bunch of speculation because these guys don't know what you and I know of what Satan and God, what Satan has done, what God has permitted. And they speculate back and forth as to what Job did wrong or, you know, they're back and forth. But at the end of it, Job comes through. And God blessed Job in his life greater than the beginning of his life. God was using the life events of Job to sift or sort the priorities or investments of his heart. God was working on his heart. He wasn't performing any miracles. He wasn't zapping Job. He wasn't doing any magic, no super spiritual stuff. Because what was happening in Job's heart, what happens in our hearts, is extremely important to Job, to God. What's going on in your heart, in your life, is very important to God. It's His investment. There was a Syrophoenician woman. Matthew and Mark both record different uh, versions of it. But uh, Matt, there was a Syrophoenician woman. Hey, she had a daughter who... Um, was possessed by a demon. It was attacking her, it was harming her physical body, probably in some way. And this Syrophoenician woman had heard about, either heard Jesus personally or heard enough about him that she was certain of who he was. And she came to track him down. She was a foreigner. She was from... Phoenicia, she was, came to him while he was in Palestine. And his disciples were walking along with him. And she called out to him. She identifies him as the son of David. So she recognized that he was a fulfillment of the promises of the Messiah of being the son of David. One of the descendants would come from David and sit on your throne. She recognized who he was. She calls him Lord. What's interesting is he sifts her too with his words and his actions. 
the things that are going on. Very interesting. She's calling out, he's at a far distance, and there's the disciples with him, the 12, and she calls out. She's not blatantly coming up. She calls out to him, and he doesn't answer. She's not quitting. He knows what's going on inside her heart. Does God not answer your prayer right away? Okay. He knows what's going on inside of her heart. But she proceeds to come on because she wants her daughter to be cared for. He said the disciples want him to send her away. But she presses on. He says it is not right to give the children's meat to their dog, to the dog. He's not calling her a dog. That's how the Jews viewed her. She knew that. She knew that she was a foreigner. She knew that the way the Jews viewed foreigners, and the foreigners didn't like the Jews either. It was hate on both sides. But she overcome every obstacle to come to Jesus. She knew he heard. She knew that he did not turn her away even though he didn't answer right away. She knew that he cared because of all that he had done to everyone else. She knew that he was the Lord. She identified him as Lord. And she came around and she bowed to the ground and worshipped him. She overcome every obstacle. She says, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. And he says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you wish. That means the same thing as it means in Princess Bride, okay? (laughs) It means I love you. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you wish. And her daughter was healed that very hour. God, Jesus, was working on her heart. And she overcame those obstacles. She worshipped him, and that's what he wanted. He was investing in her, and that's what he wanted. He's invested in the earth. He's invested in mankind. Acts 17, 26 says this. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. That's what he's doing. When you, when you turn to God, when you turn to God, you say, why? What are you doing? That's what he's doing. We'd seek for him. Worship him. Jesus told a woman from Samaria in John 4, 
that that's what God is looking for. An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. Not a ritual, not 20 minutes of singing on Sunday morning, a life of worship. To worship God in spirit, not ritual. To worship Him in spirit, our spirit, and truth. Worshiping Him for who He really is. Not for what you think He is, but for who He really is. That's what He's looking for. To get a return on His investment. Creating the world. Working in our lives. Using His Word and using life events to sort the investments of our heart. There's some questions that we can ask questions for the investors, us. Does God exist? You haven't answered that question, you need to. And if you have answered that question, you need to hold on to it. Because it's easy to go through life and act like an atheist, even though you call yourself a Christian. You marginalize God that he doesn't, he's not really there. Does God exist? Does it matter? The Bible says that he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. Is there something in it for us? Yes. That's a good thing. It's worth the investment. A couple more questions. More personal. What am I pouring myself into? What is the end result? We pour ourselves into a lot of things. We pour ourselves into our jobs. We pour ourselves into our children. Little League, ballet, whatever. You pour yourself into all of these different things. Pour yourself into your hobbies. Pour yourself into your family. And some of those are okay. You ask yourself, what are you pouring yourself into? What is the end result? Solomon poured himself into a lot of things. I encourage you to read the book of Ecclesiastes, unless you're going through a real depressing time. You know what? You know what? Actually, it might help. You know, no matter what you're going through. The Solomon invested in a lot of things. Solomon invested in pleasure. He poured himself what would make him happy. He had a wee. Just kidding. You know, he had. He made. He poured himself into lots of things that would make him happy. He poured himself. He invested himself in knowledge. And he sought for all the facts and all the figures and all the knowledge that he could gain. He poured himself into that. Solomon poured his heart into earthly treasures. He was the richest king in history. Solomon accumulated so much wealth. 
because he poured himself into it. But in the midst of this, God had given him wisdom. So with each thing that he invested his heart in, it came back. This is meaningless. Without God in this, it's meaningless. I'm, I'm afraid to tell you that probably because Solomon invested so much of his heart in so many different things, most likely you will not see Solomon in heaven. If Solomon, in the end of his life, did not end up worshiping God, but because of the deception that had come into his life, listening to false teachers, he ended up worshiping false gods. There was nothing left in Solomon's heart to invest in God. He'd poured it into so much other stuff, even though it was meaningless. Well, God is working on your heart. God is using life events in your life to help you sort your priorities, to sort your investments. He's using the Word to help you to sift, to sort through your investments of your heart. You have to ask yourself, what am I? You ask yourself these questions. And is God going to get a return on his investment? Today, if you haven't ever began an investment in the kingdom of God and you need to know how to become a disciple, I'd encourage you to come forward as we sing the song. As if you have, if you have been a Christian, if you became a Christian, and you started building that tower, maybe you didn't think through well through that, and you're having a tough time building that tower, let me tell you, the Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And his church is here ready to help you to complete building, that, building your life. God uses his word on our hearts. We stand as we sing this song, you come forward, you have any decisions to make. Our elders will be here if you need prayer.